This is You Can't Laugh at Work, and I am your host, David Horning. Today, we've got Sean Anderson here to prove that thinking like a comedian is vital to being a leader. And what does that mean? Well, today we're going to talk about the topic of irreverence on a professional level. We're going to talk about the art of simplification in delivering a message and getting your audience or your employees, clients, investors, customers, whatever, invested in it. And we're going to talk about how his company, PDQ.com, creates content for people, human people, rather than just feeding into the algorithms like most strategists will tell you to do. So, tune in to today's episode of You Can't Laugh at Work with Sean Anderson, where we prove that, as always, you can laugh at work. What do you think of that new Zoom voice that that, uh, that interrupts the conversation by telling you that you're being recorded? <laughs> Uh, I think it probably I think it probably came with either lawsuits or threatened of lawsuits and lawyers saying you got to be overly zealous when you want to tell people that you're being recorded. So uh, as a as a entrepreneur, I understand that regulation and legal. I, I always say our lawyers are there to take the fun out of everything that we do. Um, very similar to the way um, Michael Scott viewed Toby. Uh, and uh, our lawyers take that tongue in cheek, but they, they do. They're, they're, I'm there to have fun, and they're there to make sure that my fun doesn't uh, expose me to extreme liability. Okay, that, that that's fair. Yeah, there's only a matter of time before Zoom in, includes a. Uh, this meeting is still being recorded. Reminder: every ten minutes or so. Yeah. Do you have a, a a favorite comedian? Yeah, my favorite comedian is. Uh, well, I have two. Um. I was just talking to my, my brother about this just yesterday. Sentimentally, the one that I've loved since I was a kid just passed away. It was Louie Anderson. Mm-hmm. Uh, but my favorite now is Adam Carolla. I've seen him a couple times. Do you feel that uh, you incorporate on, on some level? Because, um, I mean, you know, we do the podcast that we listen to, the uh, the performers that we spend the most time around. We kind of subconsciously inherit a little bit of their uh, perspective or their, their um, tics or, or, you know, whatever it is. Um, Do you, do you feel that you've learned from, uh, from Adam Carolla, from Louis Anderson and and have incorporated kind of any of what you've learned? Yeah, I I am a bit of a sponge and so is Shane, my, my brother. Um, And any of the humor that we see, we tend to pull all that in, whether it was from MASH uh, the sitcom MASH in the 70s or Family Ties or Seinfeld or South Park. Um, all those have a lot of truth to them. Even Family Guy does. Um, with Adam Kroll's humor, uh, there's a lot that doesn't make it into the company, obviously, because he, 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 he can get a little bit irreverent. And so, uh, but his way he, his outlook on life, absolutely. You need a little bit of a reverence. I mean, obviously, you, you not like being crass or crude or anything like that, but, but, to take kind of the status quo and, and you have to treat it with a, with a level of irreverence if you want to be able to grow, if you want to be able to change. Uh, so that, so that is like, that's a, that's a great quality to kind of, to, to look at. Now what you've done uh, when you founded uh, pdq.com, I mean, you're streamlining software development and patch management. So basically you're making, making things easier for, uh, for those smaller companies. I mean, and on your website, it mentions, you know, you, 
you, you see these big companies that just aren't connecting with the, the, the smaller companies and you kind of took that small business approach and simplified it. And a lot of what comedy is, is simplifying a complex idea to a setup and a punchline so that people are looking at it from a fresh point of view. So what were some of the obstacles that you faced and how did you get investors to, to see your perspective uh, using that kind of simplification? Well, first of all, uh, this sale that we did was the first time we brought on any investors. Mm. We had, everything else we had done was, was self-funded. That's awesome. Um, that wasn't by choice. Uh, we tried really hard back in um, 08, 09, and 10 to get funding. It turns out that I really suck at getting people to fund an idea. And, uh, and so we decided just to bootstrap it. There was me and then two other co-founders. Um, and so we just bootstrapped it. And uh, because of that, we never issued press releases. Uh, we really flew under the radar and we just direct connected directly to our, our customers. We really didn't do AdWords or any type of paid advertising. And because of that, we really flew under the radar. People didn't know about us. I mean, we're, we're here in Silicon Slopes in Utah, and most of Silicon Slopes has never heard of pdq.com. Yet we had this huge transaction that happened in August, and now people are starting to hear about it, especially with the acquisition of Simple MDM and then most recently um, Smart to Play. Because the, the transaction for us, uh, the investment transaction occurred five months ago, and in those five months, we acquired two companies. Mm. To answer your question, it was very easy to implement our kind of irreverent approach to business because we didn't have anyone calling the shots other than us. And, and uh, we had an uncle who was um, who's retired now, but he came and toured our offices. And he was kind of director level in, large, uh, in a large um, energy company. And uh, he walked around our offices and he said, well, I can tell that uh, you and Shane, my brother, never attended college. Um, because if you did, actually, he, he said, I can tell you never attended business school. Because if you did, if you had, you wouldn't be doing any of the stuff here and you probably wouldn't be successful. And, and it's true because Shane and I did not go to college. Neither did Adam, the, um, the third co-founder. And um, so we just... We didn't know how to do things. We didn't know the quote unquote the appropriate way to do business. So we just made it up as we went along. And when you don't have anyone telling you what to do, you can get away with that. I am here uh, with Sean Anderson, the co-founder of PDQ.com, uh, which is a company that has been recognized in Utah business as a best place to work, Inc., uh, as a fastest growing company. And uh, we are talking about the ability to use humor without even realizing it. And, and what you're describing right now, being self-taught of, of having that kind of irreverent approach uh, to business and, and just kind of trying things and experimenting things with, with things, those skills kind of get taught out of us in college. The same is true, and what this podcast really is, is tying together the tenets of stand-up comedy with uh, the tenets of, of powerful leadership and uh and you know the more i see like comedians take classes for how to do stand-up 
the more it feels like they're reciting something. And so uh, with what your uncle was saying, that, that, that rings true kind of with, with comedy as well. Um, but with that comes making mistakes, with that comes falling on your face, it comes with those bombs. So how did you overcome some of those? Uh, and are there any that, that stand out as one that, that really taught you uh, how to build an organization that, that helps a lot of people? Yeah, so what we did, because we didn't have investors, we didn't have what we like to call adult leadership. Uh, what we did is we, we early on, grabbed the best lawyers we could find. And uh, the tool we have or the method we have for finding lawyers is we don't accept any strip mall lawyers. They, they can't be general practice. They had to be very specialized. If we're looking for business, we look for a business lawyer. Looking for employment law, we get employment law lawyer who is very specific, usually larger firms that have multiple um, multiple attorneys in, in a single discipline so that we have this huge resource. And it was through there that we started learning things that we really shouldn't be doing. Uh, and then really tried to capitalize on the things that were working. For us, what was working was obviously having a really good product and then making content that our, that our um, users would find very valuable, even if that wasn't using our software or hawking our software. If, if, it, if, it, if they could become better sysadmins, if we could make a video or a, a webcast that would made them better sysadmins, we were all about it, even if it didn't necessarily affect our bottom line. And so with that, over 10 years, we, we ended up getting a really strong community. We used to say, actually, we still say, we don't, uh, we don't make our content for algorithms. We make them for people. And you'll see a lot of people who make their, their content, and it's just so strongly designed for SEO. We do, we do employ SEO best practices, but when we're in front of a camera, nothing is scripted, and we are just being sysadmins who are trying to help other sysadmins learn uh, and, and become better. And that really shows out it's an authentic, if we make a mistake, we love making mistakes on videos and webcasts because we can then show without editing anything out how we overcome mistakes. Because if I had to define our customer, our customers are sysadmins. If I had to define what a sysadmin is in the fewest possible words, it would be this. A sysadmin is an excellent troubleshooter. Mm. My, uh, I'm not sure if you're familiar with Adam Grant, but one of my favorite quotes that I've been that I've been leaning on heavily recently is, "If you want to be right, be wrong faster." And uh, people are invested in that story. I mean, if if Michael Scott wasn't just a bumbling, you know, example of a boss, that show wouldn't be interesting. Uh, but but he, but it's how it's how he learned from those mistakes, those, those missteps, the constant, you know, working against himself. Um, that is what's intriguing to people. So you've given your company a story versus, oh, here's a bullet pointed list of, of what we do. And that's, that's something, you know, you're appealing to people's humanity uh, rather than, you know, the algorithm. And I love that. One example, uh, we were kind of talking about it at the beginning, and I don't even really remember when I started recording because I kind of like to do this shooting from the hip rather than here's a list of questions and we're going to follow these to the T. Uh, you... On your website, on, on your culture page, I think it was, uh, there is a mockumentary kind of what it's like to work at, at pdq.com. And it really takes that tongue in cheek, that dry kind of office uh, humor and 
that's what, you know, as I was telling you, that's what drew me to even reach out to you to have this conversation. And uh, the link to that is going to be in the show notes as well, if you want to take a look at what they do. So I'm curious, what inspired doing that in the first place? Um, the videos and the webcasts were inspired because we wanted to tell, we wanted to make better society. And the best way to do that, we felt, was to do it with videos. We do make, we do write a lot of blogs, but when, Blogs, you have to comb through to find the relevant information. And we thought with our videos, with our webcasts, we can get right to the information very quickly. Um, the only reason to do a live webcast is if you want to allow your viewers to drive the content. If, if you're not going to take live questions, there's no reason to do a live webcast. Just, just post-produce a video because you have so much more control over the final product. But we wanted to have live viewers. We have several hundred every week who will tune in for our Thursday uh, webcast. Um, and all that was was us trying to tell the story. And we, and we really felt, in fact, it, go, it goes really deep. Um, we couldn't find any software that allowed us to have our content. And for us, our content is often our software or something that is a tool that a sysadmin might use on it's on the screen and we always wanted to have our our faces there a live picture of the of the person we call the talent who's who's leading the discussion the challenge is your your screen's not always moving your mouse isn't always moving sometimes you need to spend 30 seconds or a minute talking about something and if you don't have a mouse moving people don't know where to look and so we wanted to superimpose over whatever they were talking about the talent and we've kind of become known for that. The challenge was there's no webcasting software that did that at all. We looked at everything. They always they allowed you to do live pictures, but they were always in a separate window off to the side. And we wanted to be part of the content. And so we just invested in studio quality, uh, like television studio quality equipment for our studio, because you can't do that with a USB camera. You actually have to go pro with, with pro mixers and all that stuff. And so... We, we have a state-of-the-art, seven-figure-in-cost studio that is awesome, and it allows us to do a lot of the special effects that are live. So we can do a 45-minute live webcast, and our talent is superimposed. We can have different camera angles. All of that with, with what we call excellent sound because uh, I can't stand listening to instructional videos. If I'm going to try and change the, the line in my weed whacker. I might need to go and get a YouTube video for that. I can't stand tinny sounds like they're speaking out of a kazoo sound. To me, sound is more important than the actual picture because if it's pleasant to hear, you'll listen longer. If it's grating on your ears, you're not gonna listen. And so from, from the very beginning, we tried really making high, high, high quality videos. It, it would blow me away how many companies that were huge companies we're talking billion dollar companies and they would have an instructional video that was done in someone's cubicle with a usb camera and mic with no sound muffling and it just sucked and it just blew me away and i thought here we are a small company and we at least put foam on the walls for crying out loud i mean come on guys spend a nickel for crying out loud so Anyway, um, it was all about making really good content that was ple pleasant, that had made us part of the content. I'll go a little deeper if you want me to on that. Sure. We, when we first started in 2007 is when we started selling our software, we did what we thought you were supposed to do. We bought some uh, 
magazine ads uh, in uh, Windows 2000 magazine. And uh, this is long ago that magazines were still a thing. And we, we, we got three months worth of ads and we, we got maybe a hundred clicks for those ads. But then that same magazine ran a story talking to one of our customers and that went 3000 within the first day of clicks. And that taught us a very important lesson. You want to be part of the content. You don't want your message surrounding content. And if you're an ad, you're surrounding content that people are reading. But if you're in that, you are the content. That's why we put our faces inside of our content. That's why we have the tongue in cheek. That's why we don't like doing take two and take threes. Um, we, we like being authentic. And our users have responded to that because they realized we're not going to try and pull the wool over their faces. It, it, again, it, it's a humanizing thing. It, you know, who would you rather work for the, the company where everything's buttoned up or who would you rather work with as well, you know, uh, or, or the, the company that doesn't take themselves so seriously. You can't laugh at that. What does your company look like when people want to come to work? Specifically, what does it feel like when there's conflict? How do people deal with challenges because there is going to be conflict there are going to be challenges when your organization is firing on all cylinders when there is a collaborative mindset not groupthink but one where people are willing to challenge one another in a way that is conducive to growth and to engagement and to building trust what does that look like? Do you know? If you don't, if you even had to pause when I asked that question, visit watercoolercomedy.org forward slash February 22, because on February 25th, I will be offering a deeply discounted webinar focused on working from the end game, from having a killer culture, meaning a culture that is undeniable, that people are willing to go out of their way to apply to, that people who work for you are willing to go out of their way to vouch for, to their friends, their family, their loved ones. What does that look like? And how can you work backward from there? Because many times when it comes to culture, there's a sort of lack of clarity when it comes to what people really want. What does that workplace where people want to go really look like? And how do you fit that to your organization's mission, vision, values, and goals? Find out on February 25th at noon Eastern, watercoolercomedy.org forward slash February 22 to find out if this webinar is for you and to sign up. I'll see you there. I can envision it. You can't laugh at that. You talk about your customers, but has this provided an edge as far as recruiting, as far as, you know, getting those people who are, are more creative thinkers uh, to come in, you know, when they see that you, you put out these videos, you put out this content that's very humanizing. Is that something, have you noticed a difference? Yes. And uh, two, two facets. Number one, it gets people who want to be there. And number two, it eliminates people who just say that's so cringeworthy. We can't handle it they are definitely not meant for being right here. 
I uh, I laughed out loud at the uh, I am number five. I am uh, number five, but the you know, the boys in the mailroom call me Cinco. Well, usually they call me which I think is a Latin term of endearment. I am an automation efficiency expert, which in layman's terms means that I'm a, an expert at automating efficiently. I think I'm pretty good at my job, uh, although there are some times where I do, you know, I, I, I make mistakes. Uh, sometimes it's, um, sometimes it's not automated or efficient. We make sure that they know they are replaceable. It improves productivity. For example, if an employee works below eight hours a day, they know that their job is on the line. And I think they like it that way. Poking fun at employees being numbers. And I mean, you open by saying about, you know, your, your key to success is taking yourselves very seriously. And that's, that's so funny to me because I do a lot of work with HR. And one of my first questions that I ask when I, when I do a presentation is, what is the first thing that comes to mind when you think of humor in the workplace? And nine times out of 10, it's trouble or lawsuits or you know it, it, everything that could go wrong first <laughs> before actually even considering the fact that there are benefits to it. So allowing your people kind of the creative freedom to do that, how have you seen that uh, improve like productivity? How have you seen that improve morale, culture, and, and things like that? Definitely culture. Before we hired the new executive team, I was not very good at tracking certain results, so I couldn't quantify what that would mean to the bottom line, but definitely making it an enjoyable place to work. Uh, when you come and work for the company, you'll get what we call a grandpa story. In my office, I have a picture of my grandpa, and I have his lunch pail that he used at the steel mill where he worked for 30 years, where he retired from. And grandpa hated that job. He hated every day of it. He said it was like working in hell. Uh, he drove a forklift to moving big bats of melted steel that was 3,000 degrees, and he's a couple of feet away from that. It's just hot and sweaty and just horrible. He did that through the uh, 50s, 60s, and 70s up, up into the mid-80s and um, hated it. But he told us he loved his employer because they never bounced a check and they paid them on time every time. When Shannon and I got out of high school, he said, hey, you know, Geneva Steel is hiring. We went, Grandpa, you hate it every day. He said, yeah, but they never bounced a check. So when Shannon and I had this company and, and Adam, the other founder, when we had this company, we thought, wouldn't it be super cool to have a company that Grandpa would actually like to work for, that he would be so excited that he would cartwheel into work. But then comes the other side. Uh, I don't like it when I see uh, tech companies specifically are horrible at this. When they, they work there, they have 60, 70, 80 hour work weeks um, and they're just working their people to death. Um, that really bothers me. And I, I feel like it's a, a really strong form of exploitation. And I thought, I th just as important as wanting to cartwheel into work because you love your job is to be able to backflip out because you're excited to go to whatever it is that you're excited to do. My backflip happens to be my family, boating, going to basketball games. But other people have their different backflips. And so I like to ask them, what's your backflip? And if, a, if an employee is struggling, I'd like to ask, are you losing your cartwheel? Are you not wanting to cartwheel in? If, if, if you're not wanting to cartwheel in, you may want to look for something else. If there's something we can change, great. But if, if 
comes down to a culture issue, then it's probably time to look for something else because we are, this is not the 50s and 60s. You don't have to go work at whatever lumber mill is in the town. You actually have a choice. Mm -hmm. There's a thing called U-Haul. You can actually move. Works every time it's tried. So... (laughs) So the cartwheel in and back clip out, uh, that, that's, there, there kind of is a, a mental gap of what it, what it means to work. And we're, we're bridging that gap now with, you know, the, the importance of the story behind the company. People can read from former employees, current employees, articles, whatever the case may be, what it's like to work somewhere versus just, you know, do they bounce a check or not? You know, you can, and that that working in hell kind of thing, you know, I'm of the belief that, you know, we create our own heaven or hell based off our decisions, like where we work, how we work, um, and and if that's like meaningful to us. So the the cartwheel in and backflip out, that's a a strong visual. And you've proven that you're willing to, to break the old status quo of what it means to work. I mean, implementing something like a four day work week, uh, when did you when did you do that, and what sort of resistance did you face, both internally and externally? We I, I forget how long ago it was. It was three or four years ago. Well, from the very beginning, we've had we had half day Fridays, and that's just because uh, well, I didn't want to work all day on Friday. By two o'clock on a Friday, you are checked out. You don't want to start anything new, especially you know if you finish something. You're just kind of phoning it in. So we started doing half-day Fridays. The challenge was people weren't really giving four hours on their Friday really good value. Um, and so we thought, well, let's just see if we can com- compress everything down into four days. We just asked our employees, please don't turn Thursday into the new Friday. Uh, don't be ch- clocking out early and, and checking out early mentally on Thursday. We'll give you a three-day weekend every single week just be there be present be where you are and we that's one thing we like to do be where you are um, if you're at home don't be working if you're uh at work don't be doing stuff for home be where you are and maximize it you don't see ping pong tables in in our office because i mean google will have sand volleyball and all that stuff and all sorts of fun things to do. They probably want you to do laundry at their place. Uh, I have a niece who worked there for a long time, and she said they just never wanted you to leave. Um, and we want you to leave, so we're not. We don't have to put sand volleyball courts in because you're not going to be there 80 hours a week where you need a break. Um, so we do have whiskey time. We do have a, a full functioning bar um, and a piano lounge. It's great for lunch breaks. It's great for whiskey time breaks. Uh, for those employees, I'm included in that who don't actually consume alcohol, have a Diet Coke or a water or a seltzer, whatever you want. It's just a time to, to let the hair down, as it were, and just enjoy. Right, right. It's it's hard for guys like us to let the hair down, but but uh, absolutely, that would be a problem. To speaking. Have. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that that's so important. Um, to close this out on. Uh, on a growth centric note. Now you are, you're kind of, you're a little bit more hands off with the organization now that, that you've sold. At this point, yeah. Now, as far as, you know, you are, PDQ is growing, you know, mm-hmm. you just made these acquisitions, you were just acquired. You're integrate, they're integrating a new cast of characters, which means new culture. Um, how, 
and with that growth kind of comes uncertainty. In comedy, uncertainty is a fun playground because it gives you the freedom to think outside of the box and the opportunity to release attention that everybody can feel. Like even if there is an acquisition, even if it's, you know, everybody's like, this is exciting, there is that sense of uncertainty and that does raise a little bit of tension. So what have you done or, or what is the organization currently doing to help uh, people kind of be more open to this new cast of characters that they're working with, to this new uh, culture that, that you're enveloping? We're introducing them, like we, we just brought on about 50 new people with this last acquisition, we're, we're introducing them to our brand of humor. We did an all hands yesterday. It was the first all hands for, for the new company that we brought on all those employees. And I was watching their, their faces via Zoom as we played some of our, our videos, making fun of the situation of where we are. And there was a lot of blank stares. And they're, they're, it's gonna take them a little bit of getting used to. It is difficult in the Zoom world, it really is. Uh, I like it when we are kind of rubbing elbows and you're in the, the lounge, the piano's going. We actually have a smoking lounge in the whiskey lounge where people can go and smoke and vapor, whatever it is they're doing. As long as they're not cut lines, I'm okay. And <laughs> we, we uh, that's tough. So it's tough via Zoom, but we do the best. All we're trying to do is let them see, look, we, are a, we, we have a very serious product that does very serious things for our customers, but that doesn't mean we have to be serious. We can let loose. Um, and I'd rather let them, let loose because then you start seeing who they really are, not who they think you want them to be. Mm. So is, is this a process that you kind of started with when you bring on individual new uh, <laughs> hires, kind of applying it on a larger scale? It, it started really happening. The challenges happened when we brought on a new executive team, which was over a year ago. It was uh, November of, of 2020. Uh, so, you know, check back with me in six months or a year and I'll tell you how it's worked out because we're only five months into to having the new investor owners and um, they've given us a lot of leeway and a lot of freedom to be who we are. But at the end of the day, a business has to make money. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's, it's easy to be funny when, when you have a great bottom line. When you don't have a great bottom line, the humor is just things that were funny just don't seem as funny anymore. Mm -hmm. So... You, you got to continue to be a business. That's part of, of what I do. And that's part of why I do this podcast is because there are organizations that are going through that. And if we can provide for them one nugget of information, one little thing that they can take away and say, okay, like I, I can still apply humor because humor is creative problem solving really. And uh, being able to look at things from a fresh perspective. So if you were to give one piece of advice and you're currently, you know, in the middle of this situation right now. But if, if you could take one thing that you learned, one important lesson that you learned about not taking yourself seriously that, is, that has paid dividends um, in the midst of change, what would that be? Humor can release a lot of tension. But if used incorrectly, it can prevent you from addressing serious issues. So make a balance. Mm. Be balanced. So have, a, uh, have an end game, have a goal, have a, a vision of what it's going to create. Because if it's used to distract, it's, it does more harm than good. I'm with you on that. Yeah. Awesome. What was the last thing that you laughed at, that you really laughed at as a team? As a team? Mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> well, the video yesterday, I thought the video was really funny. Um, because of Omicron, uh, we've had to really lock down the office. And so it's, it's, it's really tough to laugh over Zoom. 
So um, before that, it just it, it happens all the time. I mean, it just I mean, I remember one time that we had an employee who was brand new. He walked, he was walking down the hall, and he happened to look into the studio, and he saw um, a photographer taking pictures of one of our sysadmins who was wrapped up in Cat Six cable, as though he'd been like in bondage type thing. And as this employee walked by, he started laughing. He says, boy, you just see the weirdest things here, and I love it. So stuff like that, you just laugh. I love that. You create an environment where, where things like that do happen, where you can just you know facilitate the laughter. Awesome. Uh, Sean, where can we find you on social media? Is there anything you want to plug, anything like that? Um, <clears throat> well, coming from someone who's never really done the advertising thing, obviously it's pdq.com. There's a lot of PDQs in the world, but there's only one PDQ.com. And uh, so that's the benefit of having the URL, PDQ.com. I don't do social media myself. Um, with, the, with the cell, I actually turned off my LinkedIn, which is awesome. So um, not, no social media to follow there. But if you want to check out the webcast and see how we do it, it's, uh, it's 9 p. It says 9 a.m. Pacific time every Thursday. We could sit here and talk about how pdq.com is the time and place to laugh but showing it you know that goes that goes the extra level so a, a day gone by without laughing is a wasted day brother that's yeah, a great sound bite to close out this episode of you can't laugh at work thank you for helping us prove that we can make work the time and place to laugh and uh it, that grandpa story that's one that, that i'm gonna remember all right hey thanks david you can't laugh at that what's your grandpa story that is a message that Sean delivered that has stuck with me in the few days since we've had our conversation. You know, we all have a story that we carry with us about what it means to work, about what those challenges mean to us on a day-to-day -day basis, whether they're the big insurmountable seeming challenges or those little insignificant ones. What is the story that you tell yourself about them? Is it keeping you rooted in mediocrity or are you constantly learning and trying new things and excited by the failures and excited by the mistakes because they're part of your story that you are going to share one day? What is your grandpa's story going to be where you inspire generations after you? That is really an interesting concept that I've been sitting in for a few days and I hope that you take that with you and really consider what story it is that you're telling yourself and your team. Thank you for listening to this episode of You Can't Laugh at Work. As always, remember, comedy is storytelling. It's the human experience, and it's being open to those little things that happen every single day. Make sure you follow this podcast on Twitter, You Can't Laugh Pod. Like us on Facebook, go to watercoolercomedy.org to learn how to make your organization one where people want to work. And remember, you can laugh at work. It's okay. Tell them David told you. You can't laugh at that.